You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central. And you can always give us a listen on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Without further ado, grab a cup of joe, find a comfy chair, and enjoy the conversation. Morning and welcome to King of Kings for Coffee and Clergy. I'm Pastor Doug Chinberg. I'm Pastor Scott Pitch. We're glad to have you back with us today. Uh, it's, uh, I think we're in session eight or seven. I forget which one exactly. Seven uh, of our of our study on part one of Genesis. Part one meaning it's chapters one through eleven of Genesis, and there's a lot that goes on in this. So uh, if you've been with us the whole time, we're glad to. March right on uh, down the road of the, the early biblical journey with you. If it's your first time with us, welcome. Uh, this is kind of a sequential series here. So there's, uh, you know, there's chapters one and onward. So we started at the very beginning. We're a very good place to start, I suppose. Yes. Uh, and we marched through and we're on to um, chapter seven. You can find those earlier recordings on our our YouTube page, our Facebook page. You can go to our um, our website and find links there. You can also uh, find our, our podcast wherever you go to find your podcast. Just look up Coffee and Clergy, and you'll you'll find our uh, our, our site there, so you can get those recordings. Um, so, I guess before we begin, shall we open with a prayer? Sure. Uh, please join me in prayer as we begin our discussion today. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we come before you today in adoration of your mercy toward us. As we dig further into the story of Noah this week, we know that uh, if we take this story seriously, it's a very sad story. It's a story of of uh, the failures of of your creation, of mankind to to bring glory to you, and uh, it's a failure of our our moral um, ability to to follow your word and to honor you in our worship. And so we know that um, that uh, the pain that was dealt out upon the world is a result of our sin. But we pray that uh, even today, as sin corrupts this world, your mercy would reign the same way it did in Noah's time. That you would have mercy upon us, even though we are not deserving of it. That your uh, grace would shower out upon us. We know that the the chief uh, gift of grace that you have given is your son, Jesus. And we rejoice that uh, as we approach the season of of the Passion and of Easter, that we would focus our, our heart and our minds upon Him, and that we would turn to, to Jesus to be our Savior and our Lord. And so we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so we started last week with uh, the story of Noah. We looked at chapter 6 last week and mm-hmm. talked about uh, 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 how wicked the world had become. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. We talked about Noah being a righteous man again. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that comes out in our our narrative again today. Um, um, but um, before we get into the questions, we could go ahead and read uh, chapters seven and eight. Yeah. And I'll I'll read chapter seven, and uh, we'll begin there. Okay. Said the the Lord then said to Noah. Go into your ark and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature that I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, of the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, 
and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. On that very day Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every kind of animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. For forty days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had breath, the breath of life in its nostrils, died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air that were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him on the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. So uh, we'll go ahead and keep reading uh, chapter 8 all the way to the end uh, as well. So a little bit more scripture reading, which is good today than we've had in the past couple weeks, but um, it's a coherent story, and so we want to tell it in one in one sitting. So, uh, verse one. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he w- sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep, and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water the water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to a rest on the mountain of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So he returned to Noah. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and he brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him, it was evening, and there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, the creatures that move along the ground, so that you can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wives, his wife and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that moved along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and the, and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings upon it. The Lord smelled the pleasant aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. 
and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Okay. And so uh, um, a humbling story of God's judgment. And um, now now we see disasters around us even today, um, and sometimes probably more regular than we want to. Mm -hmm. But uh, a question is, uh, just kind of a personal question, what are some of the uh, natural disasters that you've seen in your life? What yeah. are some that come to mind? I guess the ones that, that come to mind in... I grew up on the western side of Arkansas, and Arkansas itself isn't that much known for tornadoes because it's a little more hilly and forested, but we're right on the border of Oklahoma, which is, you know, you know, a little more tornado known. Alley. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kansas and Oklahoma and Nebraska, too, those those are places that get hit really hard by tornadoes. And so, um, you know, during the tornado seasons, we would have tornadoes rip through that would do some pretty significant damage. I don't remember any ever hitting like in my neighborhood or, or, you know, within a couple miles of me, but there were touchdowns on roads that I knew the names of because they were the roads that we would take to school. Uh, another, another disaster I remember vaguely, I was, let's see, I would have been seven years old at the time was the flood uh, here in okay. St. Charles or here in, it was St. the St. Louis area. It was the Missouri river flooded pretty badly in the Mississippi too. And a lot of people who lived in, I lived in St. Charles at the time and a lot of people were, you know, had had their, you know, their houses were flooding and they couldn't get clean water and stuff like that. And I just remember that. And then you could say technically, I mean, it's not what you typically think of as a natural disaster, but it is, is the pandemic we're in right now. It's a natural, it's a disaster. So um, it's kind of an example of that. It changes the way we, we live our lives. So. Yeah. I Growing up in Wichita, Kansas, uh, we had tornadoes there frequently, but there was one time in particular uh, where it hit less than a half a mile from our home. Mm -hmm. And um, as they talked about it going back up into the sky, it sounded like um, it was very close to where our house was. And we found out later that our TV antenna had been knocked off. And mm. uh, But that was really about the only damage. We may have lost a few shingles, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, we were th we were the only one on our block that had a basement. So neighbors, if if they were concerned at all, if they you know heard that the tornadoes were going to be close, they would come to our home mm -hmm. and we would pack in <laughs> all the neighbors in our neighborhood and and yeah. we'd go downstairs. Yeah, but my my both of my parents grew up in Kansas and my. Mom grew up on a farm, which my family still owns, so I've, I've been there several times. They have an actual tornado shelter that's not connected to the house. It's okay. actually built into the ground um, outside of their house. And my mom tells the story when she was a, a kid. It might have even been before she was born. I don't remember exactly when, but she knows that the one of the silos on their property had the roof torn off the silo. So there's one okay. silo that has a roof and one that's flat. And yeah. Um, that's always an interesting remembrance is to think how powerful it is that a tornado could come in, you know, that close and, and do that much kind of destruction. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but yeah, you mentioned the flood, um, uh, of 93 mm -hmm. and Mount St. Helens was another natural disaster. And yeah. so we, 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 you know, there are, um, I have some, know some people that are down along the coast. And so yeah. when they have hurricanes, um, uh, we, you know, we keep watch and, you know, mm -hmm. find out where people are at and make sure they're safe. I've lived in the South a lot of my life. And so I've seen like hurricanes, but not on the shore kind of hurricanes. I've yeah. seen the, the, this pounding rain that comes, you know, north or, you know, west of a hurricane hitting. Um, I've never experienced the real destructive the power yeah. of one. Though. And, uh, and so we, we see those today. We know that they happen. Um, uh, uh, oftentimes people are killed and, um, and so, and then there's a lot of cleanup and pickup and, and, uh, um, it's nice to see when, then when people reach out to those who mm -hmm. have lost, sometimes lost everything and, and, uh, kind of pick up the pieces and help them turn their life around. But, yeah. Uh, kind of makes me wonder how much of that might be this kind of instinct that, came out of the flood that when we survive something like that we feel like we need to be kind of of, of help or we need to be our brother's keeper be our brother's keeper we need to analyze our own <laughs> righteousness as a way of kind of thinking of it what are we doing to help and so people often feel very altruistic after a, a natural disaster that they were not impacted by 
Yeah. So, and I think too, oftentimes, I mean, we have uh, members of our congregation have other family members around the country. And so um, we hear of whether it's, we have people that are out in California. So the California fires, fires. when those took place, mm -hmm. uh, uh, we have people here in our congregation that have family members out there and, and they often ask for us to pray for them in the midst of those disasters that take place. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that there's really no place you can live where you're completely uh, safe from natural disasters, right? You, yeah. you have wildfires out west, you have hurricanes in the southeast, you have um, you have tornadoes in the center of the country. It, there's yeah. no place you can go in the world where you're completely safe from natural yeah, disasters. I think I read one time on the internet that uh, tornadoes, there have been tornadoes that have taken place in every state in the United in States. States yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, and then that's just one kind of natural disaster. I don't want to know what a, a Hawaiian tornado looks yeah, like. Well, they oh, just, boy. they had some, <laughs> yeah, they had some flooding there. Yeah, they did. Um, and they've got the volcano all the time there. Yeah. So, yeah. so, but, uh, so the next question, what, what brought about um, this disaster? It was God's wrath. Um, and so why was, uh, why was God so wrathful uh, against what was happening here on earth well it was god's just response to just a wretched condition of man's heart on the earth um god looked everywhere you know he's all seeing all knowing he looked everywhere for any sign that there was good to be found from his creation of mankind and he could not find it except with noah just yeah. one one person one family out of uh, uh a full earth worth of humans and he could not find a single he could find one single heart that was that was um, upright and, and blameless, you could say, yeah. and that drove him drove him to um, to despair in his creation, which is just a, such a foreign concept mm -hmm. that we would think of God despairing at what he once called good and very good, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a result of man's sin. That's yeah. what it comes down to. I I think of the passage uh, from what we talked about last time from chapter six, where it talked about every inclination of man's heart was mm -hmm. only sinful all the time. And, um, and so it was that, um, that mankind that was filled with sin that caused God's heart to be sad and, mm -hmm. and despair of his creation. And, um, so why did God, why did God destroy every living thing instead of just mankind? Uh, I think the, the thing to think about is that when man sinned in the garden, it wasn't just Adam and Eve that saw the result of that sin. Uh, the world itself, the creation itself, um, the animals, the planet that we live on, the plants, uh, the stars in the sky, the sun and the moon, um, you know, things they didn't know about back then, the the Strong and weak magnetic, you know, forces and and uh, new, you know, all all the things with that God created as a as a um, network together um, when He made creation have been affected because the pinnacle of His creation, mankind, who was to be its overseer, creation's overseer, had failed, and because of that, because of man's fall into sin, all all of nature was. Affected. contingent to the the consequences of that sin mm -hmm. and it's true also for noah's time as well because of the wretchedness and the wickedness that was in man's heart the earth itself was was essentially crying out and saying this is this is too much and god saw that it was too much and he he regretfully destroyed his creation but he did that once again in adam and eve's time when adam and eve sinned and they saw they were naked, God destroyed his own creation. He killed animals for fur to make clothes for them. Mm -hmm. And that shows the length to which God loves his people, that he would destroy his own good creation for us. But it also shows the length to which God will go to punish wickedness, that he will destroy his whole creation to mm -hmm. set things right. We, we even hear in the New Testament where the, uh, the creation groans mm -hmm. because of sin. Uh, longing for the that final um, uh, redemption, the the fulfillment of God's redemption to take place when Christ comes again. So um, Paul talked about that in his letter to the Romans, um, and so creation creation cries out, and and it was affected by sin, and um, um, so what what does that what does that teach us or tell us about about God's character? That 
God is a, a fair but also strict judge. Right? He abhors evil. He will not allow it to persist. He will not allow uh, wickedness to reign, and he won't allow his creation to be corrupted. He would, um, he would rather see it destroyed than to um, be successful in its corruption, except for his gracious goodness that he is given to us through Christ. Now he is, he is the word that the Bible uses is long suffering, right? And that's a that's a good phrase because the wickedness that's going on, a lot of people think, where is God? Why isn't he responding to to this brokenness in this world? God is not just sitting up there, closing his eyes, waiting for everything to pass over. God is long-suffering. He is enduring painfully the wickedness that's going on in the world right now, knowing that that justice and vengeance, as the scripture says, will be his on the last day. So we we find our hope in Jesus. We don't despair that that uh, God's wrath will will strike out at us um, in in the way that it did during Noah's time, because we know that we've been sealed in into His good grace by His Son Jesus Christ. Yeah, you you use the word long suffering. Sometimes we use the word patience, mm-hmm. um, but I like that image of long suffering. Yep. Um, uh, sometimes, and that's the way. Um, uh, the Bible in different places or different translations translates uh, the original word that mm-hmm. uh, is there in the Greek and Hebrew. But um, uh, to that God is patient, he is long-suffering in the midst of uh, all the things that are going on in the world. Yeah. And um, so God God is just, he is righteous, he has to punish evil, he can't, evil and sin can't live in the presence of God. Um, and you also mentioned that we also see a side of God and we see his, his just side. Mm-hmm. Um, we see it in the, the saving work that he gave to Noah and then uh, even uh, a clearer picture uh, with the gift of his son, Jesus. Yeah. And um, so, um, so that's the character of God. But um, so what does this event, we've talked about it a little, little bit. So what does this event teach us about the character of mankind? Um, uh, we've talked about the wickedness of, of mankind and how sinful they, they have been. Um, again, I think of Paul's passage to the, to the church in Rome, mm-hmm. uh, that talks about, uh, no one is righteous. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short. Yeah. Um, uh, on the, on the one hand, it's, we, we would want the, the justice of God because, We've had ills perpetrated against us, but then when we acknowledge, and we cry out for justice. Yeah, we cry out for justice, and then but others are crying out for justice against us too. So, yeah. who's who gets justice, right? And yeah. and in God's eyes, justice is universal. It doesn't just apply to, you know, you because He likes you, or not you because He likes you. Um, it it's it's cast across the whole universe. There is a universal scale for justice, and it is God's scale, and our. Input has no bearing on it whatsoever. In terms of our character, uh, that shows kind of who we are, that we are very self-centered. We want God to mete out justice against those who have perpetrated injustice against us, but we don't want to receive, we don't be on the receiving end of God's justice, though. Um, We are only evil all the time. (laughs) And that's not a good condition to find ourselves in. And when you think about it, it's, God had to destroy the whole world to showcase to humanity not to enter into that form of wickedness and evil again, and yet here we are. Even the destruction of the world didn't set us straight, didn't humble us at all, and we we find ourselves actually oftentimes mocking or making a farce of the, the flood myth, you know, that's yeah. what it's often called. Because it's like, oh, there's no way that that could have happened. It's not scientifically feasible. Uh, you know, that you know, there's not enough water. Dot dot dot. It's people mock it and 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 make it make it out to be some kind of fairy tale story just to bring animals to make kids happy and toys. But in, in reality, it is a clear and abundantly present warning sign for us to not allow ourselves to fall into that level of wickedness but to seek after god to be try to try to be righteous and blameless in his sight and how we live um and uh you know we're we're quick to point out other people's faults (laughs) and we're um very um uh, i don't want patient with ourselves we're very understanding of ourselves sometimes we even deny 
lenient um, perhaps with yeah. ourselves. Yeah, yeah, we, don't, yeah we even deny the, the things that we do and we explain it away and, mm-hmm. and uh, how easily we can do that. And it's a, it's a self-deception that everyone has. It is. And, um, um, but that's a part, of our, a part of our sinful nature. And yet in the midst of that world that, that Noah lived in, God chose Noah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've talked about that God chose him because he was a righteous man. Um, and that reminds us that he was a man of faith. Mm-hmm. And he, he looked to God, he trusted in God, and, and we find, you know, every time God commands him to do something, uh, um, Scripture tells us that Noah did what God commanded. Yeah. And so he was without blame. And, and you kind of get the impression that it wasn't like there were gradients of bad and good and that Noah just happened to eke out as number one, but number two wasn't quite that lucky, right? The next most righteous family... It was like everyone was absolutely wretched, and then Noah was the only one who was noteworthy or set apart um, in God's eyes. So there's something special, there's something unique about Noah amongst the people, um, that he is the one whom God found favor with. So, And um, so what... uh, what, are, what two characteristics did Noah possess, again, that made him different than other people? Uh, we talked about this last time. Mm-hmm. We mentioned it, uh, characteristics of righteousness and blamelessness. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, yeah. and remember, going to, to Peter and tying in the Abraham analogy, you could also say his righteousness was due to faith, mm-hmm. that his, his reason for his righteousness was his trust in God. To be the only person in the world righteous in the eyes of God means you must put some trust in him, right? That, mm-hmm. that you aren't righteous because it's easy to do. It's hard to do. So you have to put your confidence in God and his word that it will um, be fruitful if you are righteous. So yeah. faith, I would say, is another characteristic mm-hmm. too. So let's, let's bring this maybe into a little more personal way. And mm-hmm. uh, so here we have a picture of Noah receiving God's mercy. And a, maybe a personal question is, have you ever witnessed the mercy of God in your own life? Uh, can you think of times where um, um, you recognize that you clearly did something wrong and that for whatever reason, God had mercy on you? I mean, I can give you specific examples, but they pale in comparison to the awesome weight of the generic examples that happen every day. You know, yeah. uh, I receive God's mercy and grace every day because I am constantly falling short of the expectation that that the law demands of me. Right. So um, this is where I think I see his his mercy first and foremost in a singular event at my baptism that that he would. Uh, purchase and win me in the waters of baptism, even he, though I'm a sinner. He gave you Christian parents that wanted to have you baptized yeah. and and raise and raised me in the faith and taught me the story of Noah and the <laughs> flood. Um, I think it's a mercy that uh, you know that I have a loving wife and child that that uh, I didn't earn or deserve. They're just they're there, and it's it's a wonderful blessing from God. Um, the fact that I can be a pastor at, at King of Kings is, a, is an awesome mercy um, and, and a blessing from God. So it's it's hard to really count <laughs> those specific times that I've witnessed His mercy. I think, you know, the greater the the greater the um, the shortcoming or the sin, the the more the person is appreciative of the of God's mercy. Right? The the thief on the cross is probably one of the most uh, you know. Has, has the most gratitude, perhaps, of anyone. Paul has perhaps more gratitude than any Christian ever for the salvation that came through Jesus uh, because he was in, in his sin. You know, he was Think uh, of Peter, a Peter, Peter who denied the Lord, denied, and, yeah. mm-hmm. and yet God had mercy on him. And then feed, and told him to feed his sheep and gave him a, a purpose. So, yeah, I mean... T- to, to give you one answer, yeah, right. uh, that's tough. Yeah, I don't know. Do you have specific I mean, examples that you were thinking well, of? Well, I was, I was thinking of when I grew up. I mean, just the fact that, again, I had Christian parents. Mm-hmm. Um, they had me baptized. I had the privilege of going to a, a Christian Lutheran school uh, growing up. Uh, you know, again, nothing that I did. They were gifts of mercy yeah. and grace. And, um, you know, uh, I too, you know, I point to my wife and my children and, and, uh, uh, see how God, through His mercy, uh, gave His gifts. Uh, yeah. None of them, as you said, were deserved. Um, 
And, and so we see, those, uh, we see those day after day. Another personal question is, have you ever seen the justice of God? Uh, <laughs> it may be in your life or it may be in the lives of someone else, um, um, but uh, do we see the justice of God today? I was thinking of, um, I've seen, I've seen the, in, the injustice of God, if you will, that uh, we say God is perfectly just, and yet his most noteworthy action ever was unjust, that he forgave my sin and placed it on his son who was sinless, right? So that's the ultimate act of injustice, and yet that's what saves me. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's... Uh, I don't want to say God is is unjust because he's not. He is a God of perfect justice. But in this particular instance when he when he threw my sin on onto Jesus upon the cross, that was the ultimate injustice, right? Um I think we do see God's justice at work. Um his ultimate justice won't be seen until the last day. We know that. But we do see God's justice at work through the world that he is sustaining each and every day. So one of the best places I think that we see justice is through the the authority of our of our government here mm-hmm. in this country and in countries around the world. Um, people who murder people sometimes get away with it, but often they don't, and then they are charged, they are fined, they are, or they are tried, they are um, found guilty, and they are punished for their crimes. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not true justice because when someone has their life taken away uh, you know, it, it, even, even their death through capital punishment doesn't really bring true justice to that occasion. Um, but God will bring justice in the end, and, but it is some sense of justice being done. When someone steals from you, they are fined and you are given uh, restitution by the courts. When someone... Um, is uh, a liar, they are punished. When someone, um, you know, breaks things or or has uh, other any number of crimes, you name it, there's there's punishment, there's justice being met out uh, in our in our governments. Now, there are oftentimes injustices that happen in the human institution of government. Mm-hmm. There are often injustices that happen through law enforcement, um, but we should not abandon or, or turn away from God's design here in this place, that governing forces, uh, forces of the law, are here to bring justice, and they do a really good job of it. There are bad apples in every bunch, but there's there, the prevailing sense of justice that exists here on the earth is a blessing from God, and it is a an outcropping from His kind of universal justice in a small sense that we find here today. Yeah. I, I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, and uh, in my teenage years, uh, there was a serial killer mm. uh, known as BTK. Yeah. And um, one of the murders took place, a uh, family that he killed took place less than a mile from our home. Wow. And, and so there were, there were many times in our community where people were... Um, uh, very afraid. And uh, I remember on different occasions um, asking God to find that person mm-hmm. and, and, and bring about justice, and which eventually happened mm-hmm. a, a number of years later. But uh, um, um, there were so many, there was a, a, a sigh of relief in that community when, when that person was found mm-hmm. and, and uh, apprehended. And, uh, but it, um, for a long time, there was uh, again that that fear and uneasiness in our community, um, but um, uh, we we praise God mm-hmm. when um, people who um, uh, through some evil idea uh, begin to destroy life and and harm other people and and uh, and so we uh, even today the church cries out for justice. Yep. And we, we want justice to be met, even though, as you said, sometimes that, that happens and sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, 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 so how does the fact that God is both merciful and just, how does that move us to respond to him? Or, or we could even say, how does that move us to worship him? Yeah, I think uh, there are times where we cry out for justice and there are times we cry out for mercy. 
And the thing that it leads me to do is to realize that God is the ultimate seat for all justice and all mercy. So if I want justice, there's no place better to go than to God. If I want mercy, no place better to go than to God. And so that leads me, in a, in a sense, to worship him, right? If I, if I elevate him to look to him for the ultimate good, then he is, he is worshiped in my eyes. And so, um, we even, we even talk about worship or, or justice and mercy, uh, as we go through our worship services. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think of our, uh, you know, we have every part of our worship services in the Lutheran tradition is that we confess our sins and we hear, uh, absolution or forgiveness from the pastor. And we understand that, uh, that forgiveness, uh, through the pastor is like receiving it from God himself, not because we're anything great or important or mighty, um, but because God has given that to us to to share with the congregation yeah. as a part of the church. And the traditional words of the, the confession from the, from the old liturgies, we hear the words um, that God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's how we begin services, is to declare God's justice but also his faithfulness right that he um even though he is just he is he is faithful meaning that he's on our side and he has the mercy uh to forgive sins and so that's a, a beautiful message yeah. um so if if you had been on the ark uh how would you have <laughs> felt another personal question how would you have felt about the friends and family members uh that were outside the ark i think each person probably has their own initial instincts. My initial instinct, if that were to be the case, would be I would feel kind of a sense of guilt that I wasn't able to talk to my friends and family. Um, Mm -hmm. By the same token, though, Noah was probably surrounded by friends and family who, because of their wickedness and their unrighteousness, were probably not the most nice people to be around. And, so. and he was called a preacher of righteousness. Yeah. So there's there's that idea that he was preaching and proclaiming and talking about why he was building that ark uh, uh, even before it was completed and before the floodwaters came. He would certainly be one who was trying to appeal towards those friends and family around him. So I imagine he probably felt just a failure about that, that he, I mean, he's accomplished so much. He built an ark, he saved the the people, the animals, he he obeyed God, but he probably still felt that like sense of I could have got one more, I could have gotten yeah. another person. Yeah. And great, great sadness. And you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that tells us about the heart of God too. He had a great sadness when he looked at the world. And yeah. I imagine that that Noah had that also. Um, my wife Kathy and I had the opportunity to uh, to go down to Branson and, and to the Sight and Sound Museum and mm-hmm. they had the show of Noah. Okay. And that was one of the uh, 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 to see it in theater, that was one of the uh, the moments that really stood out for me is when Noah and his family were inside, God had closed the door of the ark, and then the rains came down and the people were pounding on the ark from the outside, yeah. so asking Noah to let them in, uh, but by then it was too late. Yep. And uh, that was uh, one of those uh, uh, images that was kind of seared in my mind, um, uh, to see people begging, uh, recognizing that their life is going to come to an mm-hmm. end, and and uh, they were just asking for hope. Yeah. But again, by then it was too late. So, so how does that affect our urgency in in sharing the gospel with others today? Well, I think the the second coming of Christ, when all things are brought to an end and the judgment begins, will be just like that event at the flood, as God will shut the doors and no one else will be permitted. No matter how hard they cry out or bang on the on the doors, um, and so we don't want to be the ones who are experiencing that sadness that we could have, coulda, shoulda, woulda reached out to a loved one, a family member, a friend with the good news of Jesus, but we didn't because of our apathy. Mm-hmm. If we if we go to them and we we try our best to appeal to them in, in the name of Jesus and they reject that, I mean, there's you keep trying, but in the end, it's it's their call, it's their decision. Yeah. But if you simply allow people to be locked outside of the doors of God's grace and His mercy simply out of apathy, then that's that's very tough. Yeah. I think of um, um, you know sometimes we we try to encourage people, and sometimes by doing that, sometimes we even push them further away from the church. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that it's caused me to do is uh, kind of 
increases my prayer life as I pray for, um, you know, family members, friends, mm -hmm. um, relatives, uh, uh, people that I know and love, people that are um, connected to the fringe of the congregation. Yeah. And, you know, I uh, ask God to be merciful to them and to uh, reveal himself and to show his love and to invite them uh, again and again, call them mm -hmm. uh, into that relationship that, uh, that he wants to have with them. Yeah. And, um, and so that's, um, that's a part of the ongoing process, um, as we reach out to people. I, 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 your, your question had the word urgency in it too. And I think the urgency comes from the fact that we don't know when the flood will start. We don't know when the last day will come. If we knew the exact date, you know, we could put it off until a week before and say, Hey, this is coming down the pike, but we don't have that certainty it could be this very second it could be 20 minutes down the road could be 20 years 2000 years who knows but we need to be ready and because of that that creates a sense of urgency within us to accomplish the mission of god to tell people that this is this is the grace and the mercy of god and this is the justice and the wrath of god for those who are outside of his his family so yeah. and so you know here we have a picture of god protecting uh, one of his own and so another personal question is, have you ever seen God protecting you or one of your loved ones? Again, there's, there's probably a lot of general um, mm -hmm. um, examples that we can point out, but uh, have you seen where God has uh, in some um, way protected you? And Yeah, you know, I've never <laughs> seen, you know, his hand burst out of the clouds and slam down in front of me to keep me from crossing the street or something into the cars. But, you know, you see those little moments all the time here and there scattered where you think, oh, well, that was God watching out for me, right? That was a God moment. Uh, you know, all, all the time you see that stuff. You see there was a time when I was a little kid that I, uh, I fell over on my bike and skinned my knee. And when I looked up, I was about to drive into traffic and didn't know exactly where I was. I thought I was on the next road over. And I, that's why I, I don't know what, if I fell because I hit some gravel that I wasn't expecting or I fell because... Somehow, God was trying to protect me from driving out into six lanes of traffic going at 55 miles an hour. Um, who knows? Uh, it's, I think it's God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But someone else could explain it away by saying, oh, it was just a different circumstance. You weren't used to the gradient of the curve. The gravel caused you to trip. Maybe you were just clumsy. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But <laughs> maybe yeah. God used all that to keep me safe. Yeah. Um, so we don't... We know that God cares for us and watches out for us. We also know that sometimes God allows bad things to happen to us so that we learn from it. Sometimes he allows things so bad that it takes us out of this life. And we don't always understand why that is, but uh, we know that no matter what the circumstance, God is with us and loves us and wants what is best for us and knows what is best for us to to produce that result. So. Yeah, that reminds me of, a, of another passage that talks about God's thoughts are not our thoughts, His ways are not our ways. His ways are so much higher, yeah. uh, as high as the heavens are above the earth, are His thoughts and ways above ours. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, no one in Israel would have thought that God, it was the right thing to travel in the wilderness for 40 years before yep. going into the promised land, but that was what God determined uh, the people needed to do, His people needed to do uh, uh, before they arrived in the uh, in that land what what we know today is israel yeah. but um, god's word is chocked full of those kind of circumstances and yet when things like that happen in our life we're like i don't understand why yeah why does god want to do this well it's, god did that with virtually every single person in the bible throughout all of human history yeah. he's created circumstances that are less than desirable for the people in, in the scriptures so that they can grow and overcome those and and learn to turn to god most importantly and so we wonder why things cha challenging happen in our life. That's read, read. It's yeah. you're you're you are a cog in the story, the same way that David is, the same way that Moses was, the same way that all these people were. God is working in your life to produce something better for you. Yeah. A couple of examples. I mean, there've been where I sense God's protecting hand. A couple of times I've been in an automobile accident, mm -hmm. and um, 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 things that were out of my control, ice on a bridge, um, uh, uh, a road that had a washboard effect to it. Uh, and um, both times, uh, 
uh, one time, the first time, the uh, the road with the washboard, the, the truck that I was driving was totaled, mm -hmm. but I didn't have a scratch yeah. on me. And um, it was just, um, and, you know, was everything out of our control? Uh, had we, did we have a part in, in anything that happened? All I remember before that accident is I said a prayer, Lord be with me. Mm -hmm. And I gripped the steering wheel as tight as I could. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, those kind of things. Uh, uh, some sometimes we may play a part in what happens, either in a good or a bad sense. Um, oftentimes they're completely out of our control um, uh, as things go on in the world. And, and we are just in the hands of God. We are. And, uh, Which can seem uneasy if you're a control person, but uh, it can also be a relief when we allow our control to go to him yeah. and we trust in him. And that's called faith, right? When yes, you can turn it absolutely. over to God. Yeah. Say, I don't know quite what you're getting at, God, but I trust you. Yeah. Your will be done. And so we see um, that after the flood and Noah comes out, God gives Noah a covenant. Mm -hmm. And so um, what's significant about this covenant that God gives to Maybe Noah? We should define a covenant. First. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. Good. So a covenant is a word that's very churchy. You know, it's one of those churchy words. And so it's something that I want to talk about a little bit for a second. Uh, we talk about this in our in our apologetics class, this idea of a covenant promise from God. So I gave it away a little there. It's a promise, but it's more than just like me saying, I promise to uh, pay you back for that $5 I borrowed last week. It's There's something to it um, where it's a linkage that inexorably binds two parties together for the mutual benefit of both. So I, I used more complex words to explain the word covenant, but what it basically means is that the most abundant covenant promise in God's word is this promise that he will be our God and we will be his people. And that, that covenant promise is found throughout scripture and it exists today too, that we are in a covenant promise with God through our baptism that we are his people, he is our God. And the covenant here is a two-sided pact or bond between God and his people. Um, and God is always faithful on his side of the covenant. We aim to be faithful, but our sinful nature often causes us to fall short of that goal to keep God our God. And so God, in the story of the Old Testament especially, uh, shows how he is always faithful to his people, and when his people start to lose their faithfulness to the covenant promise that they made to God as well to be his people, God brings them back. Sometimes it's painful. Yeah. Sometimes it requires exile out of their land. Sometimes it requires uh, difficult things, but he brings his people back to, to him. What are some other covenants that we hear about in the Bible? We read about one earlier in Genesis uh, okay. when God makes the the kind of promise and also the curse to Adam and Eve and to the serpent um, after the fall. He gives a covenant promise when he, he tells of uh, one who will come who will crush the head of the serpent to make things right again. Um, that's a covenant promise because God says, you know, you have established uh, a pact of, of brokenness and sin and of of the knowledge of good and evil and of death, but I am faithful and I will I will be your God regardless, and I will bring, bring a you deliverer, back. Yeah. a redeemer, and I will send a deliverer to make yeah. to make good on your side. Yeah. Uh, another covenant promise is the the covenant that comes through baptism. Okay, um, we have another one that we'll read about next week after the end of the flood, but that those two covenants are kind of related to some degree. Uh, Peter talks about this covenant in that we are washed in the waters and the old man is drowned, put to death. So the the new the new covenant um, is established in the water and the word of baptism, and Jesus speaks that new covenant as well when he breaks bread and wine on, on the, at the Lord's Supper. So we have covenant in that relationship as well. So there are covenants that God makes with us in, in the entirety of Scripture. Um, they all come back to this relationship between God and his people.
A couple, couple, couple of others too. that I thought of. One is with Abraham. Yep. Another covenant. Another covenant is with David. David that mm -hmm. his uh, that a king through his line would rule forever. Mm -hmm. And again, that points us to Christ. And um, so we we see these covenants time and time again. But uh, I like the way that you described it. It it brings two people or two parties together and mm -hmm. and connects them in a very significant way. Um, and um, and. As Christian people, we, we rejoice knowing that God it will always be faithful yeah. with his covenant promises. And we use the, the, one of the most common ways we use covenant in, in just daily living is the covenant of marriage, right? That it's, a, it, it's the same kind of idea that it's a binding, unbreakable pact for the mutual benefit of husband and wife where, like God says, I promise to be your God and you promise to be my people. I promise to be your husband and you promise to be my wife. And that's... Uh, a powerful thing, and I think a thing some people don't take seriously enough, because when we when we see so many divorces occurring for irreconcilable differences, that means I've given up on my part of the covenant. I I am no longer going to be your husband because it's too hard. Luckily, God doesn't say that to us. I'm going to no longer be your God because it's too hard. Um, we certainly haven't made it easy on God. That's true. <laughs> We've been yeah. an unfaithful bride to yeah. to God. That's for sure. Um, so that's a. Uh, there are covenants throughout. And uh, to go back to your question, what is significant about God's covenant with Noah? God's covenant with Noah is to um, specifically that He would not. Destroy, uh, destroy the earth again yeah. in, in the flood waters, mm -hmm. that type. Um, but even though God, um, and then we, we also read later on in Scripture that, uh, and yet we know that God will destroy the, the earth again someday, but it won't be destroyed with a flood. Yeah. It'll be destroyed with fire. Yeah. And um, um, and but, then he will create a new heaven and a new earth from the, from the husk or the remains of the old. So. Yeah. There's, there's even in that covenant promise of, of justice and wrath. There's still an element of mercy and and God's hope. glory and yeah. hope to it. So absolutely, that's that's the thing with anything you see God speaking harsh justice against anyone in the entirety of the scripture. There's always found in that harsh justice uh, a a peace and a hope through His covenant with us through his his grace with us so thinking again of noah noah uh, as he was building the ark he would have constantly been uh, uh, mocked ridiculed laughed mm -hmm. at um, uh, what about us today what kind of um, uh, uh, ridicule uh, <laughs> as the people of god uh, do we see do we go through um, uh, despite our our faith in god uh, is there a comparison I mean, I, I kind of touched on this in our epistle lesson when I preached on it this last week, but the the foolish wisdom of God, are we are we willing to be made fools in our understanding and in our um, comprehension of the way that things are for the sake of remaining faithful to God and His wisdom? God's ways are not our ways. And so oftentimes to follow God's ways means going against the ways of man. When you go against the ways of the world. Man, the world, you're often considered to be a fool. Yeah. And there's obviously a real thing of being a fool. If you decide to take a step off a cliff, you are a fool if you think you're going to survive. But by the same token, there are things like saying, I believe in a seven-day creation that people in some communities will say you're a fool. All the evidence seems to point to other things, right? And I would say they're a fool because they're following the ways and the thoughts of man, not the ways and the thoughts of God. So, yeah, there's a lot of things in the Christian faith and worldview, if we are faithful to it, that will cast us in a shadow where we are ridiculed, we're mocked. Um, Christ promises us, actually, that this will happen. He says that, uh, that uh, if we are following him, if we pick up our cross to follow him, then um, they will hate us because they hated him way more first. Yeah. The world hates Jesus and it will hate his followers. And because they hate us, they will ridicule us. They'll mock us. They'll try to distort our position as radical. They'll try to um, say that uh, our, our religion is based on hatred and, and war. And they'll say that religion produces 
nothing good in the world and should be rid of, uh, be made rid of. So this is, these are all common refrains that many people are familiar with. Just if you're not, turn on a, uh, a YouTube video about something related to religion and go down a few lines in the comment section and you'll see myriad of myriad people that, uh, will have things to say about that. Um, God's ways are not our ways, and we must submit ourselves to God's ways to be uh, his people. Yeah, Noah does an interesting thing uh, after God gives his covenant to him, he, uh, and he comes out of the ark. One of the first things that he does is he simply worships God. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and how foolish is it when you have uh, you know, several, only a several thousand animals total on the whole earth, to kill several of them, right? It seems in our eyes to be foolish that you only have seven birds and seven, seven clean and clean animals and you're killing several of them to yeah. worship to God. What's that all about? But that shows for, for Noah the faith and the trust and the, and the deference that he has towards God, his father, that he's willing and not just willing, but feels compelled to offer a sacrifice to God in thanksgiving to his yeah. faithfulness and his mercy. And a, another neat thing about Noah's story is maybe to kind of wrap things up mm -hmm. is that we see that, that Noah is what we often talk about as a type of Christ. He is mm -hmm. a, a Christ-like figure in the Old Testament uh, who brings salvation and new life to the world. Yeah. And uh, in the same way that Christ became a sacrifice and through his death and resurrection, uh, he also brings new life to the world, and and the the ark is sometimes um, was was a place of safety for Noah and his family. Sometimes people talk about the church as and compare it to the ark yeah. uh, as a place of safety uh, for God's people as we uh, live out our faith and encourage one another in the midst of the natural disasters that go go on around us. Mm -hmm. And um, so, kind of what a neat image. Um, uh, that we have of uh, of Noah pointing us to Christ and of his ark pointing us to the church today. Yeah. The the ark was the sole place where salvation from destruction could be found in Noah's day. And Christ in his church is the only place that salvation from destruction eternally yeah. can be found. And so you see this, this kind of link uh, between the two. You find um, the, the water... Of baptism and the the word proclaimed um, yeah. in his truth and his purity are this are the the saving the saving raft which we which we live on in in a sea of of sinfulness around us that that tries to pull us in and drown us and so we stay in the boat we we stay in the in the faith in the church and in Christ and then we are we are safe yeah so. Um, so that brings us to the end of chapter Noah's, ch yeah, chapter eight, and uh, chapter nine has a little bit of Noah left. It's the we, we talked about the covenant, but the covenant, as it has been stated so far, is um, primarily uh, as long as the earth endure, endures, the the world will continue to um, have seasons and things like this. But the established covenant with the rainbow that we all are kind of think about thinking about it occurs in chapter nine. So we'll read about that. Beautiful image. Mm -hmm. But um, otherwise, shall we close in prayer? Let's do. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, sharing with us your story of Noah, uh, sharing with us what the world was like, even though it was filled with sin, only evil all the time, um, and for recognizing your justice that was that was given, and also your mercy that was extended to Noah and his family. Um, we thank you that Noah points us to your son, Jesus Christ, and, and reminds us that uh, uh, even as Noah was safe in the ark, so you give us a place of safety in the church today. Uh, we thank you for uh, your covenants with us, those promises. We thank you for your faithfulness that is there each and every day and your mercy that's new each and every morning. And so um, as we live our life, we ask that you help us to be faithful uh, in the covenant promise that, uh, that you have given and, and uh, that we are connected with you. And uh, we ask that you help us to live out uh, our faith uh, that you've placed in our hearts so that we might tell others about your goodness and love and point them to you. So be with us this day. Keep us safe in our, in our travels. And again, we thank you for... 
your abundant mercy that is ours each and every day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's great to be with you. We hope you have a, a, a safe and productive day in the Lord. Yep. Have a good one. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can watch it live on YouTube or Facebook Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central, and we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.